Lord God, tonight we come to you again to ask you to open our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears to spiritual truth. I pray, Lord, you would help us to understand your word better so that we might better understand who you are, our Lord and our Savior. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have of sharing the word of God together. We pray for uh, each person here tonight that we might be uh, 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 fed from the word, that we might grow thereby. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, be with those who can't be with us tonight, Lord, and who are dealing with issues in their lives. I uh, thank you for the opportunity we have now to spend together. And bless us as we, as we gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Tonight, I'd like to talk to you about the subject, a Christian soldier's exercise. Well, it was in November 1981 when I received a call from the Army informing me that I was now qualified and that I was approved to go into the Army as a military chaplain. I had already graduated from a military school at Valley Forge. I had already completed eight years in the Marine Corps, and um, I completed seminary. I was serving as a pastor at Northmoreland Baptist Church when the call came. There was a, a man named Chaplain Pete Sharber on the other end of the phone call. He was to be my sponsor. And so he explained to me what the duties were and what my responsibilities would be. And and finally he said this, I don't know what kind of physical shape you're in, but the army will get you in shape. That time I thought it best to change the the subject. Uh, I was good after Valley Forge, after the Marine Corps I was good. Time passed, age creeped up on me and a meaningful exercise program was at least seven years behind me in the distant past. And having been a pastor for four years and a seminary student for three years, physical exercise was not high on my list of priorities. Nevertheless, I accepted the call. I went into the army and somehow I survived. Military readiness requires a rigorous exercise program. A soldier must be physically fit in order to perform the very stringent requirements that are placed on him. Physical fitness requires physical exercise. Now let's make the leap. We make a connection and answer this question. If the military service requires a physical exercise program, what is required of a Christian soldier? Well, the Christian soldier must exercise in a Christian soldier's exercise program. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight. And as I mentioned before, the songs that we have sung tonight, the hymns, have something to do with exercise, as I will explain later. Um, The captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, demands that the soldiers in his army be spiritually fit, that they be prepared to meet the challenges and the temptations from the enemy that are going to face every Christian soldier. So let's consider spiritual exercise. I looked, uh, somehow I couldn't find a hymn on the subject of running. But I want to start with the exercise of running. In Hebrews 12.1, you know it well. If you'd like to turn there, let's just read a little bit from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, I think we've referred to this this morning, but we're going to look at it briefly again tonight. Hebrews 12, 1. 
It tells us that we, that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I've heard sermons where people explain that somehow the saints in heaven are looking down on us as we go through our Christian life. I, I personally think what it means is that here on earth, there are others who are watching us in our, in our Christian experience. There are, there's a cloud of witness who, witnesses who are observing how we're living out the Christian life. And uh, it, it's, it's a, a scene from the Olympics or a scene from a, from a race where there's a crowd of people who are looking at the runners in the race. And, and the writer of Hebrews says... Uh, because we are surrounded or compassed about with so great a, a cloud of witnesses, here's a logical thing to do. Let us lay aside every weight, lay aside the sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. It seems as though the author is suggesting that there are certain sins that easily beset us. There are certain traps that we easily get into. There are certain times in which we find ourselves involved in things which we ought not to be involved in, and somehow they, they easily get us off track and, and get us uh, uh, focused on something other than running the race. Um, running the race, of course... The Christian race, as well as the, the race around the race course, running requires stamina and exertion. Um, we are to run with patience and endurance the race that is set before us. If you've ever seen the, 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 the competitors in a, in a long marathon race, when you see them coming to the end of the race, there's such exertion, there's such there's such uh, Stamina, there's such uh, uh, rigorous breathing, and everything is just pushing, 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 trying to get to the end of the race. But they endure. They stand up to the requirements. They, they meet the end of the race, and they, and they uh, endure. So there are many verses that help us understand uh, the rigor of running. You know, sometimes running... In the Bible, running the spiritual race, sometimes the Bible says that there are some things we are to be running towards, but other times there are things that we should be running away from. In Romans 12, 9, you need not turn there, but there's a verse which, which kind of clarifies this. Romans 12, 9 says, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Uh, I've used the illustration sometimes. If you're walking along the highway and you come across in a hot July day and you come across an animal lying dead in the road, a skunk, for instance, and as you approach it, what is your reaction to that carcass there lying in the road? Well, I'm trying to think of something that helps us understand what it means to abhor. You are certainly not attracted to it. What you want to do is turn and get away from it. And so that's how we ought to consider those things that are evil. We ought to have such a hatred and an abhorrence to evil that we, 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 we abhor which is evil, but 
we cleave to that which is good. Um, Paul writes in Philippians 3.14 that we are to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Pressing toward the mark. That's the scene at the end of a long marathon race. People are pressing and pressing and striving towards that final goal, the mark. And in this case, the goal is the mark of the high calling of God, Christ Jesus. When I think of people stressing and striving and running and pressing, I think of a, a cartoon that's going to date me. Dagwood Bumstead. Um, there's a scene that I have seen quite often where Dagwood is on his way to work and he's late. And he runs out of the house towards the bus, bus stop. And as he is running, his coattails are flying, his lunch bucket is behind him, and he is reaching out like this, stretching for all his worth because the bus has just pulled out of the station and he is trying to get on the bus. That's what I think about when I think of the Apostle Paul says, we're pressing toward the mark. We're chasing, we're running, we're trying to catch up uh, to, to, to the goal. And the goal is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we run towards that goal. The Bible says that we are to pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. And this, again, is the picture. We're not running towards that which is evil. We abhor evil, but we turn and we cleave. We reach out. We grab for. We are pursuing and running after holiness. God says, be you whole, be holy as I am holy. Chapter 2, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, follow after righteousness. And here again, this is the idea of of, of chasing it, running after it, pursuing it, pressing towards the goal of righteousness. Run after charity and faith and peace and godliness and love and patience and meekness. Romans 14, 19 says that we are to follow after those things which bring peace and those things which edify. And so, as Christians running a race, we are to run towards those things which promote godliness, which promote peace, which promote edification of one another, things that promote our growth in faith, growth and understanding of the Word of God. We are to chase after the prize of the high calling of God. The high calling of God. That's our goal. That's what we're chasing after. That's how we run this race. So those are the things we run toward. Um, Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would, please. Let's take a look at what are the things that we run away from. The Bible has us running in both directions. Running towards that which is good, running away from that which is sinful. So in Romans chapter 6, let me read verses 15 through 20. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? Because for two, he says, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. 
Then he says, what? You're kidding me. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? And you have of God, you are not your own. So we are to run from certain things. In this case, run from fornication. And he reminds us that, you know, we're living in a world where, where, where sin abounds. And sexual perversion and sexual activity is, is almost everywhere you look. And, and we're to flee that, keeping in mind that, that this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This body is sacred because it belongs to God. This body, body has been sanctified by the Holy Spirit and set apart for God's use. And we are to separate ourselves as far as we can and as hard as we can from those things which are going to pervert this, this holy body in which the Spirit of God dwells. Flee fornication, he says. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10... Verses 12 through 14, we read this. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. Now, it's a little difficult, I think, to understand idolatry today as they experienced idolatry in that day. Idolatry was worship of anything that distracts you from worship of God. Anything that takes precedence over God. Anything that uh, you, you, you cling to more than God. Anything you cherish more than God. Anything that, that, that uh, you, you love more than God. That's, that's an idol. And today there are so many things that draw us away from the Lord. There are so many distractions that, that look good and, and they, they would feel good. And there are so many things that uh, we would love to indulge in and, and, uh, and sometimes do. And sometimes these are the things that we prefer more than we prefer God. These are idols. He says, flee from idolatry. And here, here this is what he says. He says, it's, it's the time when you think that you got this thing licked. It's the time when you think, well, I'm stronger than that. <laughs> I would never worship an idol. What, are you kidding me? And when you think you're strong, that's when you're liable to fall. And so we have to make sure that before we leave our room in the morning, we've got to think to pray. Before we enter into the day's activities and get caught up in the world's lusts and the, and the activities that the world would have to offer, we need to go to God on our knees and ask him to help us to, to stay strong, to stand against these ungodly things that we see coming at us so very, very often in our world today. We need to flee idolatry. We need to flee from youthful lusts. We need to flee fornication. We need to really understand that we can't do it on our own. We must have God's strength in order to stand up against these wicked things in our world today. So, 
Paul comments on the exertion and the strain that come upon a sincere runner in the Christian race. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Listen to the words he uses. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but, not, um, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. Every man that strives the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Therefore I run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway, or I should become disqualified. Notice the words he uses to describe the, the, the run, the strain, the anguish of running, Striving for the mastery, fighting with everything he has, not just beating the air, keeping the body under, uh, bringing it into subjection, contending and denying himself. He stresses the idea of being temperate in all things. A winning athlete must have self-control. Paul wrote, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. I tried to think of an illustration there's nothing wrong with going to frostbite on Sunday night after church. That's lawful. But I think to go three or four times a week is not expedient. So that's kind of an illustration. Some things you can do, and, and they're, they're good to do. They're, they're, they're worthwhile. But you know what? When you do them over and over again to the point where you enjoy doing those things rather than your, your service to the Lord, then that's, that's not expedient. An athlete must refuse things that may be fine in themselves, but they will hinder the pursuit of his goal. Um, the athlete's goal in Greece was a crown of leaves. The athlete, for the Christian athlete, the crown is an imperishable crown. It's a heavenly reward that will never pass away that you will receive at the beam of judgment of Jesus Christ. You know, when I, when I think about these words that Paul has written, Paul realizes that he could that he could run and be disqualified. Not that he would lose his salvation, but that the ministry that he has might be ended if he disqualifies in the race. And I think to myself, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the man who probably has done more to spread Christianity throughout the world than any other person. This is the man that God chose to write most of the New Testament. This is the guy who would be the, the supreme example of what it means to be a Christian. And he is concerned that running the race, he's not going to do it right. He's concerned that somehow or another he's going to get sidetracked. He's concerned that somehow some sin is going to trip him up. He's, he's, he doesn't want to be disqualified. He doesn't want his ministry to end. And so he looks at himself, he examines himself, he asks himself the question, am I running this race to please God? And I think that's probably something every one of us should do. In this race, in this, in this course that takes us towards the heavenly goal, are we running in a way that, that pleases our Lord. 
Well, there's another exercise. It's the exercise of walking. Um, uh, there's, here's a, uh, an exercise that Christian soldiers should practice regularly. Uh, walking does not involve the strain or the exertion that a run requires. In fact, if you want to relieve stress and relieve strain, you would go for a walk. Walking is relaxing. It brings composure and poise and health. Walking allows you to see and to appreciate things around you that you might not ordinarily see in the fast pace of life. Now, in a military setting, uh, a very impressive sight is the activity of a large group of soldiers who are walking together and in step with each other. We call it marching. If you've ever seen a parade, let's say at West Point, or if you have seen a good marching band in a parade in your community, there's unity and there's discipline, there's form, there's beauty, there's order. And when you see a marching unit marching in step, you, you might find your own feet moving, wanting to join in with their stride. What does your spiritual walk exhibit? John tells us to walk in love. Too many times we're in a hurry. Too many times we don't know the people who are around us who are hurting. Walking in love helps us to keep our priorities in order, helps us to better understand why the Lord has kept us here on the earth, and that is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor. Walking in love tempers our anger and increases our patience with difficult people. The Bible says that we're supposed to walk in truth. A Christian soldier is to be dependable and faithful. To walk in truth requires that you keep your word and that you're lovingly honest with others. A truth walk always takes the high road and avoids compromise. Then we're supposed to walk in the Spirit. When we're guided by the Holy Spirit, our lives demonstrate purpose and confidence. The Spirit of God guides us away from temptations and pitfalls. When we're filled, when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, we understand the sovereignty of God and the love of God and the purposes of God in our lives that the world cannot understand. The Spirit of God fills us with joy in our Christian service. We find contentment even in the most trying circumstances. A spiritual walk is attractive to the world where chaos and uncertainty are so prevalent. Walk in the Spirit. And then we're to walk circumspectly. Circumspectly. Don't be led into sin. Know your enemy. Be on guard against your enemy. He might be a roaring lion, in which case you can easily recognize him. The massacre in Israel was the work of the roaring lion. But the danger is when the enemy, the danger is when Satan is in wolf's, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Or when the enemy is disguised as an angel of light. Satan is the father of lies and Satan is deceitful. Keep your armor on and always be on guard. The Bible says walk in the light. Seek the Lord's approval on everything you say and do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. The word is a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. Walk in the light. And then walk in newness of life. In doing so, you're going to demonstrate composure and confidence and beauty and spiritual health that a godly walk will show to the world.
As a church, we must walk in step with each other, walk in harmony with each other, demonstrate the unity and the discipline and the beauty and the order that God wants a Christian community to have. The unbeliever should want to see our Christian walk and should want to join in with our stride. Walk in the light. Now, third spiritual exercise, and you may not think of this as exercise at all, but it is. As a matter of fact, it may be the most difficult exercise. And this is standing. You say, standing? Why is that difficult? Well, I think standing can be as demanding as running. When I arrived at Paris Island, South Carolina, 1968, my first orders were to get off the bus, you expletives deleted, and stand on the yellow footprints. Have you ever... Do you know about the yellow footprints? Yellow footprints, yeah. These buses come in loaded with 30 or 40 recruits. And they come in and uh, from different stations in life, the football guy and the band guy and the, the high school dropout, whoever they were. But they're all on this bus. And as soon as the bus stops, these drill instructors, like, like hound dogs, are on the, on the bus and throwing things and throwing your suitcase and get out, stand on those yellow footprints. And when they say stand, they mean to stand. Now, what do I mean? What do I mean? The minutes seemed to turn to hours. My knees grew weak. My back began to hurt. Standing on the yellow footprints means you could not swat the gnats that were buzzing around your eyes. You couldn't swat the flies that were circling around your head or your face. You dare not wipe the sweat that's trickling down your back and don't get caught looking around at things that are distractive over there, over there. The order is stand, stand. You know, Christian soldiers have orders to stand. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand, having your loins girt about with truth. Standing is hard exercise, and taking a stand for what is right is demanding, and it's spiritually rigorous. We're living at a time when our culture is drifting farther and farther away from biblical truth and godly practice. In fact, the world it seems as being turned upside down. Evil is good and good is evil. And it's persuasive and it's demanding and and you better agree with the world or you're going to have trouble. But it's more and more difficult to stand. The danger for Christians is that at first we're outraged at some of the things that we see. We're offended by what we see. But today perversion is so common and, and what was vile in the past is so commonplace today that we hardly notice what was once obviously perverse and sinful. The current generation begins to tolerate today what was forbidden in the past. And when we take a stand against socially accepted practices, we're declared bigoted or we're, de- we're declared closed-minded or we're declared uh, homophobic or all the terms that they've come up with lady, uh, lately in order to discourage and, 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 and fight against a Christian and a Christian stand. Let me give you some, some examples. And I'm going to see if you can identify with the things that I'm going to say here. Um, when I was young, when I was first saved, there were certain things that I believed that were wrong. Trying to sort out what it means to be under grace rather than under the law, sometimes was difficult. 
And a new believer always has in mind that he wants to live his life to please the Lord. And so there were certain activities that I avoided, at least tried to avoid, because they were not practiced by good Christians in that day. And our church, my church, spoke out against them. And to do these things would have brought great conviction. Now listen to, listen to this list and see if you can identify with what I'm talking about. Going to movies. You, you've heard the story about the Christian who, who went to the movie for the first time and all the way through the movie just hoped and prayed that the Lord didn't come back when he was sitting there in the movie. Oh, how about, you know, you're going to call me narrow-minded, but working on Sunday, that, that wasn't right when I was a kid. Uh, playing cards. Gambling. Dancing. Dancing. Of course, drinking alcohol, that was wrong. But listening to rock music, that was wrong. Smoking, missing church or prayer meeting, even feeling guilty about the days when I would miss quiet time in the Word. And so as you mature, these, these uh, desires are, are taken away from you for the most part, but as a teenager, it was important whether I succeeded all the time or not, it was important to take a stand for what is right. When so many of my friends and classmates saw nothing wrong and I didn't understand why they didn't understand what I did. Peer pressure can be very, very hard to resist. Taking a stand for us means that we have to pass to the next generation what it means to take a stand against the wiles of the devil. Someone said that what this generation abhors, the next generation tolerates, and the next generation practices. Satan is crafty. He is sinister. He is sly. We must take a stand against the schemes and the wiles of the devil. And we must pray for our children and grandchildren and teach the next generation to stand. The Bible is our standard, regardless of what the ungodly world accepts as normal. Finally, let me talk about this last Christian soldier's exercise. It's kneeling. Do you remember bends and thrusts? Do you remember deep knee bends, you veterans? Remember that? And you get out there at 6 o'clock in the morning and it's cold and, and the guy says, ready, deep knee bends, ready, go. And you go down and you go up, you go down and you go up, you go down and you up. And your knees get tired. And then you get down and you just thrust your knees back and you bring your knees up and you stand. You go down and you put your knee over and over and over again, 15, 20 repetitions. And it really, really tires you out. So that's physical exercise, but spiritual exercise also requires that you bend your knee. I don't need to remind this audience of the importance of prayer. David says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, because he is our God and the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. I ask you this question. Is prayer important to you? And of course you would say yes. Is prayer an easy task or a difficult task? Does prayer 
thrill you because it takes you into the presence of Almighty God. Do we spend much time in prayer? We have to each answer that for ourselves. You know, when I got out of the army, it didn't take a lot of time before my exercise program retired with me. We Christians are still in the Lord's army. We didn't retire, not yet. There will come a day when we'll lay our burdens down. There'll come a day when we'll take off this heavy armor of warfare. A day when we finally enter in that eternal rest. But for now, our captain says this. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't become encumbered by the affairs of this world so that you may please him who has called you to be a soldier. Don't neglect your spiritual exercise. Run with endurance the race before you. Take a stand and don't give in to compromise and worldliness. Walk in truth. Walk in the light. Walk in newness of life. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And pray without ceasing. Spiritual Christian soldiers exercise. It's a, it's a duty that we have to stay spiritually fit by accomplishing this exercise program. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to put into use and to put into practice uh, what we're speaking of here, Lord. Help us to realize that uh, we have a master, a, 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 a captain, a commander, a Lord over us who would want us to be engaged in, in spiritual exercise, walking and standing and kneeling. Lord, help us to be diligent. Help us to be uh, to be faithful in, in what we do, Lord, to improve our spiritual fitness and be more worthy soldiers of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen.